While Ron is busy sleeping off Thanksgiving dinner, <laughs> we present an encore of The Car Doctor. Ron and Anian. So I assume you were able to put this battery in with no complications. Replacing the battery in this car was uh, was quite interesting. I found about $2 of nickels and dimes in the back of the car because it's there by the spare tire. Surprise! 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 The car doctor. Why did you replace the engine? What failed in the old one or how did the old one fail? Uh, according to the mechanic, it uh, it just blew blew up. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Is the Car Doctor 24-7 phone number. Once again, 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Let's talk about your car and its problem. Don't live with it. Let's fix it. Let's uh, let's get it safe going down the road, and uh, you'll enjoy it that much more. That's what we're going to do for the next two hours, an hour at a time. And um, that's what we like to do. We're uh, here also. That phone number is 24-7. You can call the 855-560-9900 phone number and leave a message. Tom Ray, our executive producer, will get you in the queue and uh, talk to you about your car problem and uh, get you up here for live radio, which is, I know some of you are afraid to do it. Trust me, it's not bad. Listen, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And uh, we're just here trying to make it so that, uh, you know, more people get educated. And we're all just trying to get an education about fixing cars. That's what this radio show is and has been about the past 27, going on 28 years, I think. Yeah, something like that. I ran out of toes, so I can't count anymore. Um, you know, fingers and toes, I'm past that point. So after 20, it was hard. But um, in any event, lots to do this hour, lots to talk about. But let's kick the garage doors wide open right away, and let's go talk to Steve, Lacrosse, Wisconsin, and see what's going on with his 03 GMC. Steve, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I've, I've owned the car, the truck, since uh, 08, and it hasn't given me any a stitch of problem. It's been wonderful. Uh Really, right out the gate when I got it, it always seemed to have a little bit of a pull going from first to second. I just said, well, every truck's got its its character defects. I never gave it a thought. Well, this last year, my son told me, oh, Dad, that's really bad. You're going to you're gonna lose your tranny. You've got to do something about that. Well, then I started obsessing about it. So I went to, I, I'm new to the area, and I don't have the, the, the good mechanic that I, that I know you you praise, and I used to have one. And so I started shopping around and talking to different people, and really didn't get any good answers. I went to a transmission shop, and they wanted to charge me an arm and leg just to look at it. And I went to another transmission shop, and they're like, well, before you bring it in, why don't you change the filter and fluid? That's the first thing we do. I said, okay, so I did that. And it, it didn't, didn't help. It didn't do anything, right? No. So he's like, he, and the guy took it for a drive, and he's like, you know, this is what I think's happening. And I, I'm old school, so I remember clutch plates. Yep. And... Uh, um. And and he, there's something in there that's similar to a clutch plate, a modern transmission. He goes, that part is getting bad. And and so he goes, it's not broke, but it's getting bad. What I'll do is I'll go in and I'll clean out your transmission without dropping it. And I'll clean it and do all these things and just make it easier on that part, make it last. Because I'm thinking of getting rid of the truck in a few years. So I, I took it in for him to do it. Well, while it's in there, it coated. And he said, yeah, it coated while it was here, and it needs a new mass airflow. Uh, sensor, so I put one on, and that solved your problem. And two hundred sixty dollars later, I, I drove it out, and it's still doing it. Wow! And I just, yeah, I'm like, okay, 
he said the mass airflow sensor, it was telling the, uh, the engine was thinking that you were pulling something, you were towing, so it was making it idle up farther. And so I'm, I'm not like, okay, well, I don't want to take it back to him. And I just, I, you know, I've listened to your show over the years. I thought, I'm just going to call you and, and, you know, what's my next step? Well, I want to tell you what I think the first step should have been. Somewhere along the way, and it doesn't take a lot of money, um, somebody should have scanned this for codes. First step. All right. Well, it's never showed any code. Well, I've never got a check engine light. No, I get that. And well, but don't base it on not getting a check engine light. All right. And you know, if you're a regular listener, you know what I'm going to tell you next. You ever get sick on Wednesday? <laughs> you started. Yeah. You started feeling bad on Monday, right? Yeah. So you sort of had a pending problem on Monday, but you didn't start sneezing until Wednesday. Or maybe you were sneezing on Tuesday, and by Wednesday your head was stuffed up, and your wife said you're staying in bed, you're not going to work today. So your check engine light came on on Wednesday, but, man, you had that pending problem on Monday. All okay. right? And, you know, cars are funny, and it, it boggles my mind how people will resist, you know, spending a minimal amount of time just, just put a scanner on it. You know, sometimes, and again, I keep saying this, Sometimes telling somebody what's wrong with a car is telling them what's not wrong with the car. If right. I if I've got no fault codes, nothing impending, nothing stored hard, and I'm talking OBD2 and manufacturer side of of the computer, if I've got nothing there, hey, great. You know what? I just spent what what it take fifteen minutes, and I I kind of know what I don't have to deal with. I can go on to something else. All right. The, yeah. The, the the so that's number one, and then number two. Did the place that tell you to change the fluid and filter, and this is just a curiosity thing for me, the place that told you to change the fluid and filter, did they check the fluid level or look at the fluid condition before they told you that? No. Okay. So for all they knew, you could have just had the fluid done last week, and they decided to tell you to change it again. Right. Well, and I told them I hadn't changed okay. it at all. all right. Give them credit for that. But. All right. But still, you know, checking fluid level and condition is always a, you know, it's like a first thing. Always right. base, well, Always basics. And when I when I did change it, the the I dropped the pan and the magnet was clear and, and you know, right. there was there was nothing on it. The, the, the fluid was a little darker, but you know it's probably been in there six seven years. And but it looked great. And the, the engine's got uh, the train's got two two hundred and ten thousand on it. Anybody anybody talk to you about service bulletins? No. Okay. There's more. This this bulletin appears. I'll give you the base number. You got a pencil? No, I don't. But I'm, I'm heading towards one right now. All right, head towards one. And, you know, you can always, the, the beauty of this radio show is after this show goes out live, like you're hearing it now, we're always available on podcasts. You can go to cardoctorshow.com and download the podcast. You would be in hour one in the first uh, in the first 15 minutes, depending on how long this call goes. But you, you want to get your hands on bulletin 03-07-30-020. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to repeat that. 03. I can do that again. Sure. Two for a nickel. Uh, say when. You ready? Okay, yep, I'm ready. Okay, because otherwise I was going to have to hum, because it has to be live radio, people have to hear me, and my, my oh, humming's yeah, not... totally. I tra-la better than I hum, you know, tra-la-la-la-la. <laughs> All right, so anyway, technical bulletin number 03-07-30-020, and I believe there's a B, there might even be a C by now. This goes all the way back to 2003 and 2004 model year. And this bulletin will, the, the title of this bulletin is going to be, are you ready? Trans, yeah. Transmission has a harsh one-two shift, a slipping one-two shift, followed by a harsh engagement. It's an either-or. And yep. it, right out of the factory, I mean, right out of the gate, these transits had problems. And they wanted you to change the PC solenoid, the pressure control solenoid, and reprogram the PCM, do a reflash. That's and, not something I can do myself. No, nah, that's something a repair shop's got to do. 
So, you know, that's, but I would, I would, and, you know, my curiosity would be if in 2008 when you bought this, was this done prior? And there's almost, you know, unless you know history going back, there's almost no way to tell. The only way you can tell is somebody's going to have to hook up a scan tool, go in with a tech tool and look at current software levels and see, get out the TIST to web and and look to see, does this have a Windows update, so to speak? Is there there a software update for this? And if the software update is legitimate and has to be done, then I'm going to tell you the pressure control solenoid probably hasn't been done. All exactly. right. Now, now the big problem here is 210,000 miles. This this could already be done because it just went through 2003. What are we? 15 years old? 16 years old? Mm-hmm. It had yeah. 15, 16 years of harsh shifts, and a a repair wasn't performed. That you know, kind of abused the trans. Let's face it. You know, if, if if you got if you got banged first and second all day long for the last sixteen years, you wouldn't walk right either. Um, right. You know, your knees would hurt, your back would hurt. You'd be like, "What the heck's going on?" The trans can't be in any much better shape. So you know, it's you may be headed towards a trans anyway. What what my concern overall is, I'm not hearing anybody talk about any kind of diagnosis. I mean, the one shop wanted to do a diagnosis, and you said it was expensive. Define expensive, Steve. What do they want? One hundred fifty bucks, two hundred bucks, two fifty, two fifty to bring it in. I had to leave it for the day. All right, I got to tell you, if if you know you're Wisconsin, so I don't know what their labor rate is, but I, I assume everybody works on a hundred dollar an hour labor rate. That's where most of the country is. At a hundred bucks, that's two and a half hours of time, and yeah. you know I would be a little upset if the answer came back to well, it needs a trans. I, I could tell you right now, 210,000 miles, 15 years old, it probably needs a trans. I'd charge you $250 to tell you that. Um, I, I would be looking for, hey, you know, is there a simpler or less expensive alternative than putting, you know, $2,500 into this truck? Well, and, and I'm not going to. Right, and that's my point. So, you know, I would, I would clearly take it to. Now, you could take it to a regular mechanic that's got the ability to flash, all right. If he's got the ability to pull flash programming, he can tell you current software level and get your hands on that bulletin and read it and decide, you know, is this applicable to the truck? But I would I would clearly start that out, um, and that's where I would start. Now to make okay. the to make the argument to keep the truck and to spend the money, do you really need the truck? This is where I turn tables on you. Do you really need the yeah, truck? Yeah. Oh yeah. I have to have the truck. Okay. So you have to have the truck. Have you priced out? Right, I have to have the vehicle. I have to have the vehicle, and I love the truck. Right. Have you priced out new trucks yet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and see, this one's been paid off for a long time, so right. that's what exactly where I'm going right. here. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know, it's every time I think uh, maybe it's time to go out and buy a vehicle. It's been uh, you know, it's been ten years, twelve years, fifteen years, whatever. And I go out, and you know, it's it's like it's not that it's expensive, but I've had phone numbers with less numbers in it, and I just exactly. keep thinking to myself, like, holy cow, fifty grand for a base pickup truck? Uh, yeah, I gotta really need it. Um, I've, I've really got to need it. So, um, you know, just food for thought. But get your hands on that bulletin. Stay away from the guy that just wants to throw parts at it and find somebody that will okay. at least scan it to baseline it and work your way out on diagnosis from there. I'm going to be talking a little bit about some diagnosis I did this week in the shop, and it's kind of like along these lines. I'll try to do it this hour if you if you can stick around or if you want to grab the podcast later. But, uh, you know, cool, so, sometimes hey, it's, it's, it's what I know. Yeah, absolutely, babe. You have a good rest of the weekend, and uh, let us know how it works out. 855-560-9900. Ron Aining, The Car Doctor, coming back right after this. Right 
on the wall so you don't forget to call for car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Hey, let's get over and talk to Al from Brandywine. Where's Brandywine, Al, in the 99 Nissan it's, Central? Uh, about 10 miles south of Washington, D.C. Oh, cool beans, brother. What's uh, what's going on? How can I help you today? Um, I wanted to, well, first of all, thanks for your informative show. Always enjoy listening to it. Thank you, sir. And um, I wanted to comment about a discussion you had last week on the uh, PO420 uh, uh, catalytic converter efficiency code. And you had mentioned how uh, that code came up in somebody's car. And it turned out there was nothing wrong with the catalytic converter, but instead there was um, a leak in the um, exhaust system. Right. And uh, that reminded me of an exactly similar experience that I had. Uh, I bought a used car about 10 years ago. It was throwing a PO420 code. And to make a long story short, it turned out to be that the front oxygen sensor was getting lazy. And uh, if you looked at the data stream on a, on a scanner, you could see the front oxygen sensor, especially at idle when the thing cooled off a little bit, um, it would stop switching. If you revved it up to two or three grand, it would switch, you know, 100 millivolts, 900 millivolts, back and forth. But at idle, it would start to slow down. And for a couple of seconds, it actually stopped. And of course, once it stopped and put out a constant voltage, then it looked just like the rear oxygen sensor. And the computer says, oh, front oxygen sensor looks like the rear oxygen sensor, so it must be the catalytic converter. Bang, P0420. That's absolutely right. And um, so, you know, the moral of the story is um, that just because you get a a code doesn't tell you what to fix. It just tells you what that failed. And now you've got to go figure out uh, what happened. So I put a a $50 oxygen sensor in it, and it's 10 years later and 140,000 miles later, and there's never been a check engine light since. Well, and and sometimes, and you're absolutely right, and sometimes it's got to come back to common sense. You have to sit there and say... You know, this was this is what would you say ten years ago, Al? Ten years ago, and and the car had forty thousand miles on it. It had just under a hundred thousand miles on it. It's got two hundred forty-one thousand on okay. it. Okay, and you know, even at a hundred thousand miles, it's you know, you say to yourself, "Gee, it's awful young to be going through a cat at that stage." That's right. Uh, it, you know, if a car's got a hundred thousand miles on it, it's going through a cat. Oh yeah, okay. I guess I guess to a degree it can go bad, but by the same token, you know, what made it go bad? A cat is a cat is a victim of so much abuse that for all the work that it has to do, what's driving that cat and killing it to death? That's right. And, and people don't want to look at that. I yeah. had I had a 2012 Chevy Equinox this week that the customer's complaint was when it's cold, the driver's window was slow going up between two and three inches off the top of the door, and then after that, it was okay. Okay. I couldn't duplicate it really because it, it was Tuesday and was naturally the, or Wednesday. It was naturally the warmest day of the week this yeah, past yeah, week here yeah. in North Jersey. So I, I I sat there and I looked at it and I said, well, and I could see how it was just you know it, it was a little sluggish at that point even in the warm weather. And I'm going forty eight thousand miles on the car. Bad window regulator. Nah, it doesn't doesn't seem right. doesn't yeah. sound right to me. Shot uh, three dollars worth of silicone down the rubber tracks. Worked it in a couple of times. I don't know. It's been cold since Wednesday. I haven't heard yeah. from the customer. I got a call on Monday, yeah. but I yeah. think it's fixed. For yeah. uh, you know, you, you've got to look at age and mileage, and it yeah. can't always be that every car has got a bad part. There's got to be a reason why it failed, unless it's staring you in the face—the yeah. leaky water pump or the bearing that's noisy or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let, yeah. Let me let me add one other sure. really interesting feature to this story. Sure. Uh, I bought the car from a charity, one of these places where people donate a car. 
and then the charity sells the car for whatever they can get, and they use the money for whatever cause they're supporting. I can't prove this, but I am absolutely convinced that the people who own this car had the check engine light come on, they went to some jack leg in a gas station who put a code reader in, thinks he's a mechanic, said, oh, PO420, bad catalytic converter, and oh, catalytic converter, 100,000 miles, the exhaust system must be all rusted up, and he probably ran up some $2,000, estimate. They didn't know any better. They didn't want to spend $2,000, on a on a car that had close to 100,000 miles. They couldn't sell it with a check engine light on, so they donated to a charity. So they threw away a car that had at least 10 more years and at least 140,000 miles in it because they couldn't find anybody smart enough to figure out that it was a $50 oxygen. Right, and I, and, I, and, I, and I see that all the time, too. Yeah, and, I'll and, bet. And, and that's what's wrong with this industry, yeah, the, yeah. The, the pretenders and the pokers and the hopers. Yeah. Um, to use a phrase that uh, I think you're familiar with, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard you know, that. Too. I've heard that. That's um, but that that that's the truth. And you know, the sad part is, I, I matter of fact, I've got a, I've got a bit of a nightmare coming in this week. Tuesday, I've got a, I think it's an O three I'm sorry, a two thousand Nissan Frontier. The gentleman bought the car, used car lot, uh, somewhere around here in North Jersey. Bought a used car lot. It had a check engine light on. The the salesman said, "Don't worry, we'll get it through inspection for you. We'll fix it." Uh, 30 days later, they dropped it off on the guy's front doorstep, and he's been everywhere, and everybody's looked at it, and everybody's tried throwing parts at it, and it, he came in yesterday, and he was a very nice guy, Rick, and he asked me, he says, listen, are you looking to take on any more work? My first answer was no, but, you know, I heard the story, my heart went out to him, so it's going to be, you know, it's another case of somebody waving their arms, telling him how bad the vehicle is. I told him, I said, I'll give you everything I've got, I'll tell you what's going on, really, for sure. You may not like the answer, but... You know, diagnose, 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 and that's what we're going to do Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll probably talk about it next week, and it's it's sad because there's people are afraid to diagnose things. I just don't think they want to take the time to look at it. They just want to throw parts at it and sell it. Al, I appreciate the call very, very much, and uh, it's good to hear from a listener, and always good to hear from listeners and uh, a long-termer like you, and I'm glad it worked out for you. That uh, Yeah, sometimes simple, right? Like my college professor said, keep it simple. Sir, as I like to rephrase it. So, but anyway, um, 855-560-9900, Ron Annie, the car doctor. I'm coming back to diagnose your problem right after this. When the family car needs some fixing, there's only two things that really matter, getting the right part and getting some good advice. It's a pretty safe bet that with over a million parts in stock, Pep Boys has the right part right now. The Pep Boys pros are extensively trained to find the right part for just about any car or truck. Better yet, these pros can also handle the entire installation or service needed. It's always good to have options and know the Pep Boys pros have it covered either way. For the best in car advice, give Ron a call, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. I was working on a 2012 Dodge Durango the other day, and I came across a really interesting uh, conversation, bulletin piece of technical information. They refer to off-draw, ignition off-draw, IOD, as they're trying to get it down to the point where, and let, let me explain it. If you've got a car that's got a dead battery, one of the things the mechanics should be saying to you is, obviously load test the battery, make sure it's in a good state of charge. And if it's not in a good state of charge, we're going to talk about that in a minute too. I've got something else from the folks over at Associated I want to bring up. But an ignition off draw 
is the actual measurement of how much of a current draw there is on the battery to determine is it excessive or is it within spec. And Chrysler has written a very nice conversation here. They talk about ignition off draw, and they get it down to very specific things, how a radio is 1 to 3 milliamps, and a power amplifier is up to a milliamp here, and, and, and so on. But what's what's interesting is they want it down again. Uh, 50 milliamps is where we consider it to be, you know, spec okay. They're calling for, they'd like to see between 5 and 35 milliampers, which is, you know, thickness of a hair down to, <laughs> um, in, in terms of electrical current, very, very small and tiny. And it just shows, the article uh, showed, the bulletin showed how critical we need to think in terms of we're looking at electrical and charging systems, uh, you know, uh, battery condition, alternator capability, and then what sort of electrical load we've got on the system when the key is off, ignition off, draw, as they put it. And it makes me think about all these add-on accessories that we're putting into cars and, you know, the ability to hook them up right, and then can they create a draw, and it's it's just critical. So make sure you have some. I'm going to try and see if there's a way I can post this article as a generic conversation upon Facebook, <clears throat> excuse me, to get it out on the Facebook page, because I think it's worth reading for everybody that uh, it just shows you the accuracy required and the issues that can be created from very simple things that, that, that could possibly go wrong and end up with a dead battery. Because um, batteries are just, handling of batteries, I can't stress it enough, the battery is really the heart and soul of the electrical system and of the car. The folks over at Associated, Associated Equipment, you find them out on the web, AssociatedEquip.com. Um, they've come out with a new battery charger. Listen to this thing. It sounds like we're talking about a new car. All right, it's got 4x20 digital display. It can be three language options, polarity indicated and protected with a beeper. It safely charges batteries, um, AGM, lithium-ion, EHB, deep cell gel, uh, gel cells, fully automatic or manual charging modes, OEM vehicle manufacturing, and battery manufacturing approved. Can you imagine we've got cars now where you've got to go to the manufacturer and say, is this battery charger okay to use on your Honda, your Toyota, your GM, your Ford, and so on? And they've got that. Adjustable charging voltage. This thing sounds like we're launching an F-16. And it's, it's, it's a battery charger. It's got two wheels and a handle, all right, overcharge protection, weatherproof. Are, are you sure we're not talking about a, uh, an F-16 made in the USA? Well, thank gosh for that. Um, automatically sets charging level and time of charge, deep discharge recovery of sulfated batteries. Wow. Um, latest battery charger coming out from the folks over at Associated, AssociatedEquip.com. Just, you know, we take a lot for granted. Eh, just throw a battery in the car. That's my favorite conversation. Just put a battery in it. What could it take? Well, you know, we had that this week real quick, and then I'll go back to the phones. Had that this week. Had a 2010 Ford Fusion towed in, absolutely stone dead, nothing out of the battery. Dead, gone, forget it. All right, and I said to him, I'm going to take up a half hour to 45 minutes of time. I'm going to verify the battery. If it needs a battery, we're putting a battery in it, and then I'm going to do a draw test. The draw test on this Ford Fusion, monitoring it using a voltmeter, all right, took 28 minutes it took 28 minutes for that battery to get down where the 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 ignition off draw was down under 50 milliamps and you know you've got to monitor it you've got to watch it it's not that simple to throw a battery in a car anymore the only thing you can throw in a car is maybe something in the trunk or the back seat other than that you got to test it let's go over and do some testing and talking ourselves let's go over and talk to jerry in uh, northern minnesota I guess that is in a 13 Dodge Avenger. Jerry, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, on this on this Dodge Avenger, uh, it has uh, 
on the heater system. It has good heat on the defroster and the heater on the floor on the driver's side. On the passenger side, the defroster and the heater are ice cold. What's going on? Okay. The 13 Avenger, well, let me talk about the 12s and the 11s. All right, the earlier Avengers only had one blend door actuator. All right, and same with you. I believe a 13 only has one blend door. All right, but I always say this cautiously because then I've heard stories where there's two. All right, it seems that this is a split year for Chrysler from the information I'm seeing. So I always be, I'm always cautious here. What this likely is, is a restriction in the heater core. As crazy as that sounds, this, if this is a one-blend-door vehicle, one-blend-door or one-servo control, I've seen restrictions in the heater core affect heat out the passenger and defroster side of the dashboard. All right? So, you know, a couple of things. I want to scan it for codes. All right? I want to look to see if there are any fault codes, anything pending. I'd like to see what engine temperature is, just, you know, see what the computer sees it's seeing. 180, 190, 210, whatever. All right? Write it down. Okay? And then I'd like a thermometer in the, in the driver's side duct. I want to get a real number. All right? 160, 180, whatever the number is. And then I want, a, I want a thermometer in the passenger side duct. I want to get a real number there. Okay? Then I want to go to the heater core. If, if this is, well, I'm sorry, let me back up. The next step I want to go to is I want to get out a wiring diagram, and I want to see how many servos, how many door actuators are listed for the vehicle by wiring diagram. All right? Do you know what I mean when I say blend door actuator, Jerry? I've heard of it. Okay, I've so heard of it, look, look, look at the front door to your house. All right? If you want to let fresh air in, you open the door 50%, right? Right. You, you want to keep the fresh air out, you close the door. Now we're going to put an electric motor on top of one of the hinges. You're, oh at the, you're at the dashboard. You turn the heater knob all the way up. It opens the door to let hot air blow across the heater core and come out to the passenger and driver's side vents. All right. Well, that's what I'm thinking. That's that's the problem with this car. But the Chrysler dealerships up here, both of them insist that uh, you need their new heater core for... $900. It might. Oh, it might. Because here's the catch. Then you do have a one blend door system. All right? The only way the only way that I can think of, we go through all those other things and everything comes out to test the way I asked for it, comes out to be correct. If this is a one blend door system, then it's likely a bad heater core. And the, the, the test for that, I mean, they could also try flushing and back flushing the core to see if it makes any difference. One of the dealers did that and okay. made no difference. Made no difference. Then I right. would I would concur with them. If this is a one blend door vehicle, this is likely a bad heater core. Yeah, supposedly this is a problem with the 2011 to 2013 uh, Avengers. Yep. Chrysler is having a nationwide problem with these. I talked to the factory. I talked to Chrysler itself twice now over the past couple of years, and they insist they. They're not going to do anything for us about it. Yeah, it's it's we'll sad, isn't it? Up with it. Yeah, yes, a, it is. A, a, in this a, a, day and age, of twenty first century, we do. They have cars out on the road with uh, with malfunctioning heaters. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, how many miles on the car, Jerry? Right now, there's seventy two thousand. I bought it when used in twenty sixteen. It had forty thousand miles, and that first winter, we noticed there was something wrong. Now, right. This is the second winter. This is going on. Right. It's, uh, and the dealers insist they're a new heater core. And uh, I'm taking it to another good mechanic here on Wednesday. I'm going to see what he says. I'll mention this blend. Well, he mentioned to me that this 
door business already. Right. Door. And I think that's the first thing he's going to look at. But like I said, if this is a two-blend door system, then I'm thinking door actuator. But I, you know, well, I can't really say either way. I'd have to look at a wiring diagram based on the VIN of the vehicle. Um, this this could be an either-or. But just, you know, if you do end up going with a heater core at the dealer, your yeah. your, your last question after how much, and they already told you 900 bucks is, are you sure yeah. this is going to fix the problem? Yeah, good question, huh? Yeah. Right, yeah. I always like to ask that question. Uh, you know, I always like to put that question in there. When somebody tells me it's a widget, okay, I'm willing to pay the freight for a widget. Can you promise me that that's it? And I yeah. listen to their answer. Well, uh, I go on websites concerning these cars, and the websites are saying that there's uh, casting sand in the engine that's uh, fallen its way into these. Uh, right. These. Uh, that's right. These. Uh, these heater cores. That's why. Uh, that's why. That's, that's why the flush and back flush works sometimes. Okay. Now, yeah. let me ask you: the dealer that did the back flush, no change at all afterwards. No, nothing. I couldn't tell anything. You know, it didn't make any difference. Okay. You know, I, well, whatever. Listen, Jerry, do this. Call me back next week. Let me know what the mechanic says. Let me know what you end up doing. I'm curious. I'll do that, Ron. All right, yeah. sir. All right. You take good care and uh, stay warm up there in snowy Minnesota. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Don't call us. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Let's get over and talk to Lisa in Minnesota, 2004 F-150. Lisa, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help? Hi. I can't believe you got two of us from northern Minnesota on back-to-back. Must be a snowy day um, and there's nothing else to do up there, I guess, maybe. Oh. It's going to snow again tomorrow. Yeah. Our, our snow just melted off in this last week and a half, and now we're going to get dumped on next week, and it's going to get cold again. That's like but the national sport. That, that's like the national sport up there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. A- a- anyway, my son's got a 2000 Ford F-150, and uh, all of a sudden the oil gauge is doing weird things, and I don't think it has anything to do with the pressure. Okay. Because w- when he starts it up in the morning and the engine's cold, it goes and drops all the way below the uh, no oil pressure line and the dummy light comes on. And it stays there. Uh, last time I rode with him, it stayed there for about 15 minutes, but it was a really cold morning. So I'm thinking, okay, the engine's starting to warm up, and all of a sudden, it didn't just slowly rise up. It popped. It went pop, and it went up to where it belonged. The light shut off. And then just about as fast, it popped right back down to no oil pressure. The light came back on. And it did this pop up and pop down thing for about three or four minutes. And then it finally stayed where we believe the oil pressure is anyway, you know, where, where it says it's good, and the light's off. And then it stayed there the rest of the day. But if he shuts the truck off for 20 minutes, it'll do it all over again. He says if, if, he, if, he starts, if he goes to the store and comes out, it'll be normal. But if he leaves the truck not running for 20 minutes like he's grocery shopping, comes back out, it'll start all over again. Okay. He'll say he has no oil pressure. No, no sounds from the engine, nothing strange, no mechanical noise, no tapping, no... Nothing like no, that. No, no, nothing. And and I know what low oil pressure should sound like, and right. his engine makes no funky noises whatsoever. Okay. Um, at, at the oil pressure switch, there's going to be a white red wire 
a white wire with okay. a red trace. Um, you verify that it's there. You should be able to jumper that to ground. If you jump that to ground, okay, um, the okay. gauge the gauge should come up and read like you sort of expect it to, and the light will go out. If if if, okay. th- if that's the case, then we've either got loss of oil pressure in the engine, which I don't think you do, or a bad oil pressure switch. All right. Okay. The, the the fact that it's not making any mechanical noise, that it's got no tapping, that it, it you know, I, I mean, I've had cars yeah, with no oil it, pressure. Yeah, and been doing this for three weeks right. because he said, a friend of his told him it could be a dirty oil filter, so uh, he got the oil changed. It was doing this a thousand miles before the oil change, and now it's continued to do it after. So right, I would, I would, I would be willing to bet it's a switch. However, and I want to put a caveat there, I have seen more than a few problems with the Ford Instrument clusters, that Generation 4 truck. So it would be nice if grounding the wire, you know, brought it up to mid-scale or wherever you expect to see it, and it stayed there while he drove around. That tells us that the cluster itself is capable of seeing a good signal and that it's the signal from the switch. If grounding the wire doesn't correct the condition, then we've got to look further up the line. Do we have an open or a problem with the wire itself, or does he have a problem with the cluster? But let's get through step one first, and then give me a call back, and we can talk about it. All right? And I wouldn't be, okay. I, just for the record, I wouldn't be violently opposed to sticking a mechanical gauge in place of the sender just so I can see what the pressure is. But, I again, no noise, and, you know, it's it, the, the sender's probably cheap enough. Just make sure he gets a good quality piece that um, you, you're probably going to find out this is going to be a sender, but grounding that white-red wire will do it for you. So um, let's give that a try and give me a call back. 855-560-9900. Ron Nanny, The Car Doctor, coming back right after this. Keep Ron's number handy, 855-560-9900, for when you really need advice on your car. Here's Ron. Welcome back. I, you know, I'm not sure how well this is going to translate out on radio. I was going to try and do this on Facebook, but I don't think I can, so I'm going to talk about it here. I had a 2003 Chevy Astro van this week at the shop that was towed in for a no-start condition. No crank, no nothing. Turn the key, not a peep out of it. Now... A lot of people would sit there and say, well, it's a battery or it's a starter, and I guess that's easy, and that's not what was wrong with this. And they'd get burned, and they wouldn't look past, you know, got to look for some basics, all right? I got in the truck, turned the key on, and I had no dash lights, and I had no voltmeter. And I thought that was interesting, and I turned the key forward, and nothing, no click, nothing, no sound out of the truck. Had headlights, had power windows, had strong headlights. So I said, well, it can't be a battery. And I went through my due diligence, and I looked at, you know, I load tested the battery. It was fine. The battery, one battery terminal was a little dirty. I cleaned the acid off of it. Not a big deal. Long story short, I got out a power and ground distribution wiring diagram, and I sat down and I looked at it, and I said, how does the starter get power? But more importantly, how does that one voltmeter get power, and where are my dash warning lights? And when I looked at it, I was able to determine that ignition A fuse, a 40-amp fuse in the underhood fuse block, was this one leg of the circuit that was feeding those three or four critical components. Sure enough, found a blown 40-amp fuse and a shorted purple solenoid feed wire going down to the starter, and that was the root cause of it. Diagnose. I'm running a car doctor. The mechanics are expensive. They're priceless. Everyone. 